Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Welcome to the best Houston sports podcast. Yeah, that's what we think, and we believe that, and I think it's true. I think it's true. Robert, along with my co-host, R.G. Seal, welcome to the Rockets Jazz Game 1 post-game show. Rockets get Game 1 in a big way, 122-90, to the final hardened 29 points, 10 assists, 8 rebounds, R.G., uh, this is what you wanted to see from the Rockets out of game one. And you know what? They they need to do this. They got to handle things quickly because watching that Golden State Clippers series, it doesn't look like it's going to be much of a series between those two teams, which is kind of what I expected. Well, they all, also wanted to handle things quickly because everybody wanted to get home and watch Game of Thrones. So if you weren't watching it, you wanted to get home and because you were recording it and watch it right then when you get back home. So True story. Yeah, that's, that's right. You know, the big thing to me when I, I'm watching this game is Rudy Gobert, you know, a lot of people think he's going to be the defensive player of the year. That's what the kind of word is. And, you know, I mean, there's no question this guy's one of the best defensive players in the NBA, if not the best. You know, he changes games with his length and his height and his rebounding. And Yeah, he had 22 points and 12 rebounds. But, RG, I, I didn't feel like this was a game that he controlled. He only had one block shot. And that was, you know, Utah... What they were trying to do was exactly what we saw from Milwaukee and exactly what scared me about Milwaukee. And I thought if anybody else can do what Milwaukee does, figure it out and do it as well as they can, then the, the Rockets can be stopped, but it's it's extremely hard. I mean, Milwaukee's defensive plan is basically we're going to play Harden uh, to his left. We're going to push him towards the paint, not let him take three-point shots and make him go into the teeth of the defense. And they got Gobert in the teeth, which is – you know, fantastic, but, you know, the Rockets can still counter with Capella, but, you know, the Rockets like doing the math thing. They they want to do three points for every two, and when you take away Harden's three-point shot and step back and you do that, you know, that that's something that would scare me if I'm a Rockets fan, but I think Harden's getting more and more comfortable with that, don't you? He just looks like he's decided, hey, I'm going to accept it. I'm going in, and we're going to get an easy two. I'm going to somehow get a layup or get it to Capella or find an open three from somebody else. Well, he has to recognize that. And you're right. I mean, that's what the, the great players do. They, you know, he can still, I mean, with a step back, I mean, that's why it's so unguardable. He can be falling back out of bounds practically and, and shoot up a, a three pointer. Right. I mean, if he really wanted to, but uh, I mean, Harden's mastered the three point step back, but yeah, I mean, if it's not there being guarded at three point line, then, then go ahead, uh, you know, penetrate and, uh, you know, dish it off to the open man and so he he was able to do that. I wanted to just say one thing. Look, Milwaukee, they slaughtered, uh, of course, Detroit game one. They're the best team in the league. Giannis, uh, I mean, we were rooting for James Harden to get the MVP being Rockets fans. But it looks like Giannis is going to win the MVP and also well-deserved. But I, I just want to say about those two Rocket games that you're talking about, Milwaukee and matchup and all one game, the Rockets basically collapsed, right? They were ahead at home, and they lost that game. And the other game was the third game in four nights, I want to say. And it was, uh, yeah, the Rockets have been playing well. But, I mean, it's like, you know, tired legs, road trip, go to Milwaukee. Milwaukee kind of blew them out in their own building. There's some things about it there. I mean, I don't want to talk about Milwaukee right now. That's way off in the future. If the Rockets even get that far, it would be like Nirvana. I just kind of wanted to bring that up. And as far as, like, you know, this is a third straight game now. I mean, with two straight games with with Utah where the Rockets, you know, have blown them out. So hopefully this portends good things to come that they've got Utah's number. But we know this is a seven-game series. Teams are going to make adjustments. And like you said, Utah, with Rudy Gobert, they're in the middle of, you know, defensive player of the year candidate. And, you know, the way that he can really affect 
uh, other offensive players by his presence in the post. Uh, you know, the, Utah is still going to be a tough bat. Still have to go play two games in Utah. The Rockets need to take care of business, win game two. But at least it's good tonight to start off with that victory. Also, uh, a major point I want to make is Clint Capella. You know, he's playing with the upper respiratory infection. 16 points, 12 rebounds, 32 minutes. He didn't seem to be affected if he was playing through something major. You couldn't tell. I mean, it was really gutsy performance from Capella coming off of, you know, his health issues. He seemed to be getting up and down the court well, which, you know, is huge in, in the playoffs. And, and Capella you know, does a lot with that. You know, he gets up there, gets you easy points a lot of times. He gets back on defense, and he's your, your back line of defense. So, you know, just to give a big – you know, shout out and a props and a tip of the cap to Capella. Cause I, I just feel like sometimes we just take him for granted. <laughs> you know, he just, he's, he just does what he does every single night. And, uh, you know, he, he, uh, had some, a couple of plays where, you know, I, I thought he didn't finish around the rim, but for the most part, RG, uh, Capella came out there and, and gave you everything he had. Well, and something about going up against uh, Rudy Gobert too. I mean, the, one of the best centers in the NBA, I mean, it really, you know, he, he wants to go out there and, and play his best too. So, uh, you know, you got Clint Capella, you're right. Uh, he had the upper respiratory infection that you mentioned and didn't even know he was going to be able to uh, play in the game. Game one was able to go out there, gave an impressive effort. Like she said, 16 points, 12 rebounds, always has the energy finishing, you know, and he, and remember when he was out for the Rockets, that was a huge loss. I mean, cause I mean, he, he's the Rockets, he solidifies the Rockets defense. I mean, face it, he's their he's a really big post, their shot blocking threat, rebounder, top rebounder. So I mean, adding Kenneth Fareed, we saw his energy and hustle on the bench in, in tonight's uh, game one. That was a definitely, you know, a good pickup for the Rockets during the course of the season. But I mean, Clint Capella, this guy needs to be playing, needs to be healthy. He's an instrumental part of the Rockets. And again, you saw why why he earned that $90 million, uh, contract he got in the offseason. You and I have talked about D'Antoni's rotation in the playoffs. I, I really was happy with what he did. Fareed deserved to be the bench big man over Nene. I, I, I like to see Fareed in the playoffs because he does finish so well around the basket. He does give you that offensive option. I mean, Nene, if it's a bigger guy, maybe you need him. There's going to be some times where you're going to need him to bang and, and maybe handle some guy that uh, is, is killing you on the boards. But Fareed, you know, he gets rebounds. He's athletic. He can play out on the perimeter. And the other thing, RG, is we talked about it. You know, I, I'm not a big believer in Amon Shumpert. He got some minutes Late in the game, came in, you know, last six, seven minutes of the game. Uh, I don't think it was a blowout at that time necessarily. I mean, the Rockets had a good lead. So, you know, there were some times early where those were meaningful minutes. But overall, this is exactly the way I would have played it if I was D'Antoni. I mean, this is exactly what they should have done with the rotation. So I was extremely happy with what they did. Yeah, I mean, we had discussed this before. It was, uh, you know, who who are they going to have coming off the bench? Because, uh, you know, you have... Not only uh, like Kenneth Fareed and Daniel House, but you also have Iman Shumpert, you have Gerald Green, you have Austin Rivers. And Austin Rivers would get some time. And, you know, and then, of course, you had with, uh, you know, Daniel, Daniel House with a, a significant amount of, of time off the bench. And he was three of 10 from three point range. I'd like to see him, you know, maybe uh, get a little bit more there. But uh, being greedy, we know the Rockets shoot a lot of three pointers. They were 15 of uh, 41 tonight uh, it, from three-point range. So, 
I mean, the that's the Rockets' offense. They're going to shoot a lot of three-pointers, and then especially you want to see if guys off the bench have it that night, whether it's Gerald Green, whether it's Daniel House, whether it's uh, even Austin Rivers. You know, you want to see if they're able to connect from long range, and if they are, they're going to be staying in the game because we know, uh, yeah, I mean, other than the five starters, those that's going to be the guy that gets the significant minutes because it's a big part of the Rockets being able to hit three-pointers. Speaking of three-pointers, RG, you look at Utah – I mean, the one thing that is real nice if you're the Rockets is it feels like you could just lay off Jay Crowder and Tabo Cephalosha. I mean, there's other teams the Rockets are going to play where they can't do that. So they can just take advantage of those matchups. So if you get to the next round, you're playing Golden State. It's like you got to be right on top of just about everybody with the exception maybe of Andre Iguodala. But Wait, you're already putting Golden State past the Clippers already? Uh, well... You know, I just thought maybe, I don't know. On the day know, of but... comebacks when Tiger Woods makes him, uh, you know, come back and after 11 years without winning a major, I mean, you, know, you just never know, right? Oh, yeah. The Clippers, I always equated them with the Tiger. They were the Tiger Woods of the NBA. But uh, yeah, 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 I just, I, I'm going to get to, we're going to get to Tiger Woods later because I do want to yeah. talk about that. But that, that to me is, you know, it's a big advantage with the Rockets in this series because, you know, when, when you've got Gobert and Donovan Mitchell diving to the basket, you got all those guys that can, can do well, things. Well, and the other thing, too, is Kyle Korver's been injured. He, you know, coming into the game there, that's the guy that you would look for. as This guy has been one of the best three-point shooters, you know, in the NBA over the lifespan of his career. So Yeah, good point. You know, you know that's that's the guy, but he's he's been injured. He's maybe not the same Kyle Korver right now. So, yeah. And Donovan Mitchell is another guy, you know, you might be able to watch. What he, I mean, he's a, a star in this league. So, but yeah, you, you like you said, like a, a Jay Crowder out there, he's not going to be the three-point threat that like you're talking about on Golden State that just, you know, attacks you from so many different ways, in so many different ways. Really, the imprint of the game was by the Rockets and Harden and, and their best players and the Utah Jazz best players, Donovan Mitchell and Gobert. It just felt like they were there. And occasionally you saw them do something, but it wasn't like they were controlling the game. The The other point that I wanted to make, my, my last kind of major point with this game is the Rockets need to get early third quarter stuff corrected in the playoffs. I mean, that has been an issue with them during this past season. It was an issue with them last year in the playoffs, especially against Golden State. I don't know what it is. They come out of the locker room. I don't know uh, if they take a sedative when they come out of locker room. Hey, maybe it, they need like, uh, you know, uh, Luis Scola and, uh, you know, Aaron Brooks, those type of guys. Remember, they used to be the, all the hustle guys and come out and get things going and in gear. Yeah, P.J. Tucker hustles, Capella hustles. A big part of it, I, I, I don't know what it is, but this is one of the things that I, I happens with James Harden. They'll come out. Maybe they'll have a double-digit lead. Uh, maybe they'll be up less than double digits. But usually when they have those bigger leads coming out of the locker room, James Harden just – he tries – he starts getting cute. I feel like he's kind of playing on his heels. He's not playing like he does early in the game with the focus and the – I'm just going to take it to the basket and, and forget, you know, everything else that's going on. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go out and kill these guys. I, I just don't think for some reason he gets the focus early in that in that third quarter, you know, in, in any, in any of these games, when he's got a, a good lead, you, you almost need him to be behind before he comes out of the third quarter. I don't, I don't know what it is, but that's just been a bugaboo with the Rockets and it, it's just keeps going and going and going. And you just think, okay, this time they're going to figure it out this time. They're going to come out of the locker room, but it just doesn't happen. Well, it's been happening in previous years too. previous playoffs. I mean, that's always remember that golden state, the third quarter coming out and just 
you know, demolishing the Rockets and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to need to get it cleaned up before the next round for sure if they can advance there. Let's not, you know, put the cart before the horse, but coming, judging by this game one win and the Rockets having won 122 to 90 by, you know, 32 points, uh, it, it, it seemed a lot closer this game because of the way that was, like you said, in the third quarter, the Rockets kind of blowing things out in the fourth quarter. But, you know, going forward, uh, yeah, that's something they need to correct. But there's not too much. I mean, this is a pretty – we're all pretty satisfied game one win, especially after seeing what's happened in the NBA this weekend. You know, get that first win, but also take care of business. It would be important that the Rockets don't rest on their laurels for game two either. Go to Utah with a 2-0 lead. Put the bullseye on their back that they have to win two in Utah in order to protect the home court. Go take one from there. Close it out in five. That would be my advice. Right. And and the other thing that we failed to mention, and I know people are going to be frustrated with the officiating, and it, it, it did seem a little bit one-sided, even though the Rockets are at home in game one, and you think, oh, the Rockets are going to get the calls. James Harden's going to get his usual calls. He he shoots three free throws. The Rockets shoot 12 total. I mean, 12 free throws, RG. That That's like a bad night for James Harden by himself. And that's all they got the whole game. And James Harden picks up five fouls. Most of them I thought were legit. There were one or two that I thought were a little bit shaky. But the, you're, you can't focus on that. You just got to go. Some nights we're going to get these calls and some nights we're, we're not. And more often than not, I think the Rockets get the calls. James Harden gets the calls. I mean, come on. We 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 got to be fair about that. But, you know, I just thought this game in particular, uh, they weren't calling some of the calls they usually give to James Harden. And the times that he went to the basket, he gets cl- clobbered a couple of times. There was a couple of times, maybe once, where he shot a three that I thought it should have been a, a foul. But, I mean, that's going to happen. And you, the Rockets, to me, I want to see that mental side coming out of the third quarter is one thing. The other thing is just overcoming the fact that if the, you're not going to get calls by the officials, you got to play through it. It's the playoffs. That's, you know, the, the, you, you don't get those calls as much. You just said it right there. It's the playoffs. You don't get those calls as much. And that's exactly right. And in Rockets past and Rockets teams past, it's sometimes like Harden. We, we saw this during the playoffs. Maybe that's why he's had some playoff struggles. He doesn't get the calls that he does during the regular season. So maybe this is a good thing. Look, I mean, remember that three-point shot that he took where he made it in the first quarter and he's like telling the ref if he's coming by. It was a you know close-up on television where he's saying, you know, come on, I got hit on that. But, I mean, he still went off, played his game. It, you know, he didn't, you know, have like this mysterious funk after that that, you know, sometimes happens, you know, with 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 Harden in the playoffs. And so maybe that's like, hey, turn the corner that you aren't going to get the calls in the playoffs. It's going to be more physical. Yeah. And, and that's just the way that it is. It's, I mean, the game slows down in a lot of ways. I mean, every possession is meaningful. Teams are more physical. Every possession counts. So, again, yeah, you've just got to be able to shrug it off. Champions do that. They find a way. It's like, okay, if they're not going to give me the calls. I'm going to find a way to, uh, you know, still get this basket, still carry my team to a win. I don't care. It's us versus them. You know, we got to do it some way, somehow. That's what champions do. Nobody played more than 33 minutes. And, and RG. That's got to be your favorite stat of the night. You love that. Well, and the other stat that I, it's not on the page is. Hey, Chris Paul made it through game one of the playoffs and his hamstring still yeah, works. We haven't even really mentioned Chris Paul tonight. That, I mean, this is a guy out there with his second unit, you know, doing this stuff when James Harden isn't on the floor. This is a superstar. This is a guy that's, you know, hey, got to be able to play through it all, right? And 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 take it up that to that next level in the playoffs. 
Hamstring still works. Like I said, hamstring still works after one game. But uh, oh, the other the other thing uh, we got to talk about as far as the playoffs go, you know, just looking through some of the other games, Golden State did what I thought they, they were going to do. Portland, they do more against Oklahoma City. It, that's going to be a fun matchup. It's going to be a fun series to watch. Uh, San Antonio beats Denver. I, Denver just doesn't look like they're ready yet. I mean, they, they look like a regular season team. They don't look like a playoff team. And that's why that's why we all wanted to be in that round playing Denver in the semi, getting past you know the first round and then playing Denver in the second round, correct, if they were to advance. But uh, and then and then having Golden State in the Western Conference didn't turn out that way because Denver kind of the way they played down the stretch too. Um, but uh, you know that that that's why definitely but who knows i mean the rockets might have been matched up like we talked about on our previous podcast with oklahoma city correct and that could have been a much tougher matchup and right now utah i mean is still a, a very good team like you said one of the best teams in basketball since february 1st you cannot take them lightly but as far as matchup wise i would have been a lot lot more scared with oklahoma city as a matchup in the first round than with utah if you were asked me pick between the two okay let me go back to the the Eastern Conference games on Saturday. Yeah, I picked Philly. I think you would have picked Philly, RG, but we figured it's going to be a dogfight with Brooklyn. The Embiid injury, is he right? Is he not right? You know, is he looking at his cell phone during game? I don't know what's going on with Philly, but <laughs> they, they've got to figure things out quickly. But honestly, the game of the weekend for me, the most fascinating game to watch and the one of the most intense games that I saw a weekend, I mean, I saw really like NBA finals defense from both teams was magic versus Raptors. The magic win that. And I, I tell you what, I haven't got a chance to see much of the magic games the last two months. I don't know if anybody's been watching the magic outside of friends and family and people in Orlando and stuff like that, but boy, they can play some defense and you're worried about their guard play, but you know, Houston's own high tower. Well, he was used to zone for at least for a couple of years at high tower came out of new Orleans, uh, uh, with Katrina and yeah, he played at, at, at university of Texas, but DJ Augustine with the, the big shot late in that game and DJ Augustine, uh, you know, you didn't know what to expect from point guard play. I mean, that's the thing you're always concerned about is guard play with Orlando and they got it. And, uh, the guess who didn't get it. Uh, you know, who scored, uh, zero points and RG, I think you and I scored zero points this weekend. Also, uh, Kyle Lowry, remember Kyle Lowry? Yeah, that's big in Toronto, too, because remember DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, these guys have great regular seasons and get to the playoffs. Can they take their game to the next level? Can they lead Toronto to the the NBA finals? They couldn't get past LeBron James. They've had their struggles. So, yeah, I mean, to throw up a goose egg, that's not a very good start. Toronto is a team that you just you're like, okay, let's let's see what you're going to do. It's oh, it's going to be different this year, maybe because they got Kawhi Leonard and. Well, you know, he, he's he is really good, Kawhi. Yeah, well, and there's there's no question Kawhi's really good, but it, it, there's still a question mark, you know, for a lot for a lot of people. I still think, you know, I mean, it's one game, and of course, I give Orlando that credit; they played fantastic. Can they do this four out of seven against one of the best teams in the NBA? And if they do, then you just have to say this is one of the most shocking upsets in the first round of, you know, recent memory. Because I mean, Toronto was, I mean. Arguably, they were, what, three or four games behind the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference. I mean, they have Kawhi Leonard. They traded for uh, Mark Gasol. I mean, they have, a, you know, they 
they like you said still have Kyle Lowry. I mean, they have like a very good roster, and you know they again they were the second best team in the Eastern Conference. It's kind of their time to shine. And Orlando hadn't even made the playoffs in years. I mean, they were just uh, you know one of the teams fighting for that one of those last look like sacrificial lamb spots in the, the Eastern Conference. And now both Brooklyn and Orlando have gotten wins in their first game. But I still think, you know, yeah, I think that Toronto is going to have their, their work cut out for them. But I still think they went in six or seven games in advance. Uh, it's just a tougher series than anticipated. They aren't going to be sweeping them, uh, which is what a lot of people thought, uh, sweeping them or four or five games. Uh, Orlando is going to be much tougher. I think with Philadelphia, I think the wa- thing to watch is, don't you agree with Joel Embiid? I mean, this this guy's like when he's at healthy, I mean, He's might be, you know, arguably the best player in the NBA. I mean, to, to some people. I mean, I know you can talk about Giannis. I'm saying what he can do as a center with his strength and size and the way he can dominate a game. You know, he just has all the talent in the world. But the question if he's injured, if he's not the same player, if he, you know, can't go. I mean, it's just it's d- difficult to say right here now what's going to happen with Joel Embiid. The 76ers just seem to be one of those teams that's kind of like lost right now. And and so, I mean, they got to turn the ship around in a hurry and it falls on their head coach. So I think that's going to be an interesting series to watch too. Cause I mean, Brooklyn's one of those teams we saw them with the Rockets and uh, you know, Daniel Russell now playing uh, much better, you know, for them. He, he's the lake guy who left Lakerland and, you know, it's been thriving. And so uh, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that series develops and, whether there's going to be some like, you know, like you mentioned that the whole Amir Johnson cell phone and, you know, Embiid checking the phone during the game kind of thing with Amir Johnson, you know, what's going to happen? You know, is there going to be internal discord? And all right, right. Stuff? But how about forget about that? To me, the the, the bigger story, because I, I thought the, the Embiid cell phone thing. OK, you said it, that the health is bigger for Embiid. That, that's the key to the series. But to me, the bigger thing that happened outside of just the game itself and Embiid's health and, you know, not playing as much and not dominating the way you think he would be is, is Ben Simmons. I mean, Ben Simmons, I, I don't know what's going on with that guy, but he's going to have to figure out a way to be better in the playoffs. And he's going to have to figure out a way to handle uh, the situation in Philadelphia a little bit better because, you know, him coming out after the game, to me, to me this guy is not – ready for Philadelphia. He doesn't have the mentality to be an athlete in Philadelphia because he's complaining about booing by the Sixer fans. If you can't handle boos in Philadelphia as a player, you're, you need to get out of the city. And, and, and that's the thing about Simmons is mentally, I just got some big question marks about him. You know, let's see what he does in the playoffs, but there's a lot of questions marks about this entire team mentally. But a lot of that, my, a lot of my concern comes down to somebody like a Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler had a, had a good game. You know, Jimmy Butler, for all, for all you want to say, that guy shows up usually in the playoffs to play as long as he's healthy, one healthy. Uh, I don't think fully last year when the Rockets uh, faced him, but uh, you know, you, you don't question him coming out to play Ben Simmons. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the East is all of a sudden we, we thought the, these series were kind of more cut and dry than the West, but uh, it's much more interesting than I thought it would be. Did you have any other thoughts on any of the playoff series? Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned before about Oklahoma City and Portland, I, I mean, that's going to be a fun one to watch in the Western Conference. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I really like watching like Damian Lillard play and, of course, Russell Westbrook and Paul George on the other end. So, I mean, I think that series is going to go six or seven games. I mean, at least I hope as NBA fans that we, we get to see it for that long and that they both take a toll on each other because, I mean, 
one of them, I think whoever wins that is probably going to be good in the Western Conference Finals. Because I, I just think that if, you know, between San Antonio and Denver, I would just favor the Oklahoma City Portland winner in that series. The biggest story in sports, maybe of this year already happened and it happened this weekend and it happened Sunday and we got to talk about it. But first, uh, just a reminder, if you'd like to meet me in person, I'm going to be out at the sports fan expo. You need to come out there too. Cause it's really cool. It's the last weekend of April. It's just around the corner. I'll be out at George R. Brown, April the 27th for sure. Maybe the, maybe the 28th. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to be out there for a couple of days, but that's Saturday, April the 27th, just around the corner. Don't miss it. It's the largest sports fan expo in Houston. Uh, you can meet and take photos with uh, players like top Astros and Texans, get their autographs. It's really cool. UFC fighters, uh, other pros and legends from other sports, and also good stuff for the kids, free stuff, bounce houses, and mini soccer stadiums and boxing rings and all kinds of cool stuff. Deshaun Watson's going to be there. Altuve, Bregman, Springer, Correa, Yuli. I mean, geez, everybody in Houston sports. Tyler White even is going to be there. Warren Moon, Lorenzo White, some ex-Oilers, Haywood Jeffries. What a crowd that you're going to have for that one. And, and even Drew Brees and Fred Bolitnikoff, Marcus Allen, some legends from other, you know, outside of uh, Houston, uh, other parts of the sports arena from the from the past. It's going to be really cool. But uh, go check that out again. It's April the 27th at George R. Brown. I should, I'm going to be out there for sure, but it's going to be there all weekend long. And RG, we got to get to the the story of, of Sunday. And I, I tell you what. Uh, Game of Thrones? Uh, yeah, well, that, I tell you, you talk about Game of Thrones. It's funny you mentioned that because I thought that Game of Thrones might break Twitter this Sunday, but something else came up that took over Twitter. It took over Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah, it's it's called a Tiger Woods. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think everybody knows what I'm talking about, but RG, it was it was really something amazing to watch. And this is the story of the year in, in, in sports. I, I don't know if we're going to see anything. I can't imagine we see anything as remarkable as Tiger Woods coming back to win the Masters 15 years after it was, no, 14 years after he last did it, 11 years after he won his last major. And not only did he do it, RG, but he did it against uh, the best players in golf. You didn't see the... The, these guys are like, who is this guy? Who is that guy at the top of the leaderboard? No, the top of the leaderboard was filled with guys that had won majors this last year, had had won uh, big tournaments throughout their career. I mean, we saw everybody at the top of that leaderboard, and he wasn't winning with like four under or five under. He's winning with 13 under. He didn't back into anything. It was just a dominating performance by Tiger Woods on the biggest stage, old school style. Incredible. I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Everything you just said there. I mean, this is going to be the sports story of the year. I just don't see how anything kind of tops it. You know, I mean, Tiger Woods coming back. Everybody thought his career was done. The back surgeries, all all the personal turmoil. I mean, the last time that he won a Masters and wore a green jacket, the Houston Astros were in the World Series, but it wasn't with George Springer, Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, Justin Verlander, and that bunch. It was 2005 with Lance Berkman and Roy Oswald going up against the Chicago White Sox. I mean, that was 2005, okay? You know, back then, Marvel didn't even have a cinematic presence. You know, there wasn't an Iron Man movie by that point. You know, I mean, in 2008, even his last, when he won at Pebble Beach in the U.S. Open, I mean, George W. Bush was still 
president at the time, that Barack Obama was just beginning his run to the presidency. So, I mean, that's how long ago it's been. It's just it's it's just really mind boggling. I mean, he basically lost, you know, most of his 30s, you know, to, to win majors. And that's a you know, a prime time to do that. He's 43 going on 44 years old. Jack Nicholas is still the oldest to win at 46 years old. Yeah. You know, what Tiger Woods was able to do, like you said, you know, the people that were at the top of the leaderboard, you had Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, last year's U.S. Open winner with, with Francesco Molinari. So you had all these different, you know, really top-notch golfers. I mean, you yeah. That, yeah. You just mentioned the guys that won the last three majors, Brooks Kepka and, and Francisco Molinari between the two of those guys. They won right. the last three majors. and Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he was fighting. But just be able to, under pressure, it, this was the first time that Tiger Woods actually won a major where he wasn't leading at going to the final day. So he's always been, everybody was always used to Joe. He's a front runner because he would build up the big lead and then final day, everybody would just, there's no way they were going to catch Tiger. But this time, I mean, he was not leading. So it was even more remarkable in that sense that you didn't know. It was really only once he hit that, he had that shot on 16, the par three, hits that shot. It looks like it might even go in the hole. He has that short birdie putt. He goes up there at that point by two. You're thinking this can really happen. It, it was just an incredible sight to see walking up 18, embracing his family afterwards. So, yeah, to me, I agree with you. I think this is going to be the moment in sports for the year. I mean, we love sports and and hopefully we'll have our moments with the Houston Rockets or the Houston Astros or some, somebody winning and, you know, ag- exultation for us in the city of Houston. But other than that, you know, from a national perspective, even in an international perspective, people love golf around the world and they know Tiger Woods. I mean, this is an extraordinary story. I mean, it elevates golf and it's just really a good thing. We We need a good thing, you know, right now, too, as well. So, I mean, just really uplifting story to see Tiger Woods back on top. Right. And, and I, you know, I, I'm about good people in sports. And I remember the Tiger Woods that won the championships and he was extraordinary to watch on the golf course. I mean, it's just, you know, magical to watch the guy play golf, uh, dominate the way he did. The, he, he has the it factor to the we, what we see with the Michael Jordan, maybe even LeBron James. You know, these guys that just walk out there and, and you're drawn to them. But we got to be honest, you know, this is somebody that I I remember he wasn't all that great of a guy when he was at the top and it went well beyond what he was as a husband. We all know that story. There are plenty of stories out there about, you know, just him not being the most pleasant person to be around. And, you know, one can only hope he's a much better person and maybe more worthy of our admiration and this historic moment, you know, I'm, you're trying to project I, that I on think, him. I mean, I have to interject here. I think he is worthy of this moment. Look, everybody has their past skeletons. And, you know, it, it, I, I mean, that was you're right. I mean, he went through a, a bitter divorce there with what happened with his uh, ex-wife. But he has the kids and his mother and kind of kind of recommitted himself to golf. He's had to endure kind of a lot of pain and setbacks, too. I mean, he's still Tiger Woods. He's still a recognizable athlete and the rest of it. But. I think that I think a lot of the players today, like Brooks Kepka is one of them. You know, this is he modeled his game and 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 taking the approach towards golf like Tiger Woods. A lot of the young players they look up to the guy, they look up to elder statesman, and I think he's embracing that more now. I think you're right. Maybe when he was younger, it was like I'm, you know, the great. He was the greatest coming through there. Now he's in his 40s. He's kind of learned, and he he likes to be able to to be out there and be with the other golfers, and and he has things to still contribute, and he still has, 
you know, his career that he's building on now, too, with this Masters win. And he's going back to Pebble Beach this year for the – I believe that's where the U.S. Open is going to be. And Tiger, you know, that's where he won at his last U.S. Open in 2008. It was that over Rocco Mediate, right? So, I mean, that's what's coming up. But I, I – you know, I like to see the triumph of the human spirit. I like to see the redemption tales and, and speed. This is what that fits to. And I think that's why a lot of people are happy about this victory. Yeah, he's a different guy. You know, I, I look look at some of my athletes that I really uh, go for that have that – maybe there, there's a little bit of something that I can relate to or there's a – warm and fuzziness about them or something like that when they, when they speak. And, you know, I, I watched a lot of the post stuff with tiger and, you know, he's, he's got such a shield up, you know, still, I think it, he still has that. And, and, you know, it, it's hard to understand what it's like to be in his shoes. That that's a given. I mean, this, this is somebody that, you know, was on the Mike Douglas show when he was two, when he was five, he was on that's incredible. You know, he's been this sort of savant since he was, a little, you know, his dad pushed him uh, to the brink of, you know, this was like a military mission, you know, going out there on the golf course. Uh, he does still love the game, though, and that that's something that is remarkable after all these years and after everything that he's gone through. And, and, and RG, I thought the quote, I mean, I was watching the post game and the quote that really struck me more than any uh, from Tiger Woods was he said, I think my kids... And you talked about, you know, this incredible moment at the end where, you know, he he hugs his kids right after it's over with. I think that really got to people because they remember him hugging his dad when he won the first majors. But but he said, I think my kids are starting to understand how much this game means to me. Prior to this comeback, the only thing they knew is that golf caused me a lot of pain. And when you heard him say that, that might have been the most human thing that I heard from him, RG, is, you know, this this is somebody that relates this to his kids and, and how he feels about, you know, his, what he loves and, and he wants to see them understand wh- why this is such a great thing for him and, and winning the masters they, they finally get to see him win a major and, and be alive for it. One of them, I think, wasn't even alive the last time. And, and I think his daughter might have been too young to remember any of it, but that's something that really caught, caught me. And, and I thought, okay, this is, that's a human moment that, that I got from Tiger more than anything else that he said in, in any of the post game and any of the press conference stuff. I mean, again, it's just like a sensational. He was able to uh, go there and embrace, like you said, the Earl Earl Woods 22 years ago in 1997 when he had that record-breaking first Masters, first major. You know, he hugs his dad. Everybody remembers that moment. And then this time it's like comes full circle, hugs his mom, hugs his, uh, you know, kids. It's just it's uh, one of those incredible moments that, uh, I mean, everybody who watched it will remember. You kind of remember if you're old enough watching in the 1980s when Jack Nicholas won you know, his final major at Augusta at the age of 46. Now Tiger Woods, the second oldest ever to win at Augusta at 43. They're the two greatest golfers right now of all time as far as, you know, majors. Uh, Tiger sits at 15 now, Jack at 18. So just kind of how Augusta brings all that together. That's why there's so much tradition with that golf course, why it's so much fun to watch. Even for non-golf fans, I mean, there's just something about when you say the masters and the spectacle on television and the azaleas, I just did amen corner, the perfectly manicured greens. I mean, it's just, it brings out something special, even for the non golf fan, but for the golf fan, I mean, it's almost mythic in proportion. And now you have another great golfer, a legend of all time, Tiger Woods adding to that mystique. Last thing I wanted to say about it, Jim Nance, you know, he reps Houston. So I love the fact that he does that. You know, he's a, a guy that really cares about this city. 
so it's hard to get on him. But let me—I just want to say this much. You know, I'm, I'm watching the the last couple of ra- couple of rounds or last couple of holes, and I'm really focusing in on it because this is this is a huge moment. And RG, you know me. I'm as sentimental as it gets, right? There's nobody that's more sentimental than me, right? You are sentimental. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm as big a sports fan as it gets. But Jim Nance... I mean, tune up the music and the Olympic moments and, yeah, the e- e- E60 and, yeah, all the rest of that. That's 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 you. Yeah, his call was about – I would say it was about as overwrought and, and, and even too much for somebody like me. I'm just like uh, – just – you know, here's the thing, Jim. Uh, we didn't need it stuffed in our face or explained to us what we were seeing or, you know, you pushing us into tears or whatever. You, you know, you either knew what this what this was and cared or you weren't watching the telecast. Well, and- part of it, Jim, Jim Nance loves the game so much, though, too. And just uh, I mean, he's just trying to articulate not only, you know, as as a golf fan and I'm mean, a great announcer, like you said, somebody of vast views. I could never criticize Jim Nance. Really. It's, it's hard, it's hard to, uh, it's one of my favorite announcers and a big proponent of, like you said, Houston. So, but I can, I can see where some people might not have liked that today. Yeah, it was, it was too much. And and when he gets on this, it, it, it's like, he's some sort of preacher for the masters at times. It's like, this guy is the Jesse Jackson of like, you know, tell, you know, okay. So, you know, this is the greatest that you are watching the greatest thing. This is the greatest thing, you know, and, and, uh, it, it feels like it's your, he's just trying to push it and stuff it in your face. And I'm like, man, this is, this is one of those moments where, you don't even have to say a whole lot. You know, this is Vern Lundquist was also there and, and you saw Vern kind of back off and Ber- Vern know, knows what to do. And you know, everybody remembers the great moment, uh, the yes, sir, uh, with Jack Nicholas in 86. And that was one of those times uh, in the 18th hole where I just thought, man, I, I would have liked Vern Lundquist doing the 18th. And just that kind of that back. You know, all Nant said there was, you know, the return to glory. And, and that was his call, but I, I feel like it was it was kind of the stuff afterwards, and you know after we saw you know the celebration with his his family, and and then the stuff in the cabin afterwards when they're interviewing him, and I, I, I don't know it, it it was all it was a little bit like hey let me try to push every button and everything like that and. You know, I think Jim Nance was getting more choked up about the moment with his kids than Tiger was. I never saw Tiger get choked up, but Jim Nance got choked up. The other thing, RG, that I noticed, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, I didn't see Tiger smile once the whole round. The first time you saw him smile was when he won it. I was like, Tiger, are you, you know, you, you can't smile. That, that, these are some cool shots that you're making and everybody's screaming your name and you're walking down. The Masters after d- d- pulling off this incredible uh, story in front of you, you know, I, I get the focus, but I thought, you know, at some point he, he's got to break break a smile at least like at one of these shots, right? <laughs> well, that's Tiger, though. That's how he's always been. I mean, it's just that's why, he, you know, maybe they can say that contributes to him because he takes that attitude and just uh, supreme concentration there. I don't know what we can add to this, but it, it was really something special to watch. And uh, just uh, you got on Twitter and, and everybody was into it. And, you know, I, I'm texting friends of mine that are golf fans. My my cousin uh, has been to the Masters and saw it up close. And, I mean, it, it was riveting, just riveting 
uh, television and, and something that uh, I think uh, everybody that follows sports uh, cared about and, you know, was maybe something that we thought we'd never see again after eight or nine years of, of everything that he went to and the fusion in his back and the injuries one after the other. And what is he now, RG, 43 years old? 43, going to be 44, I think, in December. Yeah, just uh, extraordinary stuff. And also, let's not forget that, you know, we didn't talk about them. That's for a separate show, but the Astros have won nine in a row as recording this. So it's also a good time to be a, a great time to be a baseball fan in Houston and with the summer upcoming and being able to get out to the ballpark. So between the Rockets and the Astros and it's perfect sports weekend, really perfect sports and then, weekend. You, know, you didn't talk any NHL playoffs either, but I'll save that for another show. <laughs> yeah, you, you could do that. I'm the hockey guy here. That's all we got for this one. Uh, we will talk to you again uh, really soon. Uh, we should have something between now. I'm planning on something between now and uh, the Wednesday Rockets game. Get, get another podcast in there might be Astros related. So keep that in mind, but uh, we'll talk to you again really soon. Uh, Have a great one, everybody. You're listening to Houston sports talk. Don't forget to follow Houston sports talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hey there, listener. Are you a fan of Houston Cougar Athletics? Well, Sam and I have got the perfect podcast for you. It's the Scott and Holman Podcast. Yeah, we're talking all things Houston Cougars, in-season, off-season, recruiting, on-field results. If it's Houston Cougars, we're talking about it. So search Scott and Holman Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.